This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Now then, I want to set the scene, sit back and drink this in. Mark Coburn, who broke his back in a paragliding fall when his ring collapsed and he fell 40 feet. That was in May 2009. In August 2012, he is about to become a Paralympic gold medalist. Look at him fly. You can't go better than that. Two world records and a gold medal from two performances today. Mark Coburn has got his gold in the best possible style. Yeah, Paralympic gold medalist, a world champion, a world record holder, and a man who has been through so much in the world in the way of trials and tribulations and adversity, overcome it all to achieve those remarkable feats uh, over 10 years ago now at the London 2012 Paralympics. It's an absolute pleasure to be welcomed into the studio by Mark Colburn, MBE. And Mark, when you listen to that clip, does a memory of 10 years ago just rush back in or how does it feel? Yes, the first feeling is goosebumps. Yeah. You know, the hairs on my arms, the hairs on my neck, you know, especially, um, you know, whenever I hear the... You were flying around. I was watching. <laughs> I, I, I was doing my best. Yes, I was doing my best. Um, I think what really gets me is when I present as a, as a conference speaker is the beeps at the yeah, beginning the of the race mm. because my brain's programmed to preload the pedals. So I'm stood on stage and obviously sort of showing my race to the audience and you get that beep, beep, beep. And I can feel my hands tensing up and I can feel my legs preloading the pedal, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 calm down now. Just, just calm down. We should, we should actually put our listeners in the picture. That event at the Paralympic Games back in 2012 was what, what were we listening to there? So what we were listening to was the three kilometre individual pursuit. Okay, so it's known as the fox and hound. Yes. Okay, so two riders on the track, they both start opposite side of the track. The velodrome track is 250 metres in length, so we're 125 metres apart. And when the gun goes off, it's 12 laps, you know, sort of first man finishes. Unless you catch the rider and you pass the rider, then the race is over. You yeah. Know? And, and that happens, you know, sometimes. But in this case, you know, we had a plan. You know, I was very proud to work with an incredible cycling coach called Tom Stanton. And we had a plan to manage my lactic acid hmm. over that 12 lap, you know, period. Um, the first two laps is just getting up to speed from zero to, you know, 50 kilometers an hour. And then you just sit and you hold and you hold and you hold and you just deal with the pain. That's you know, it. Honestly, yeah. Is the yeah. pain instantaneous or, or does it gradually no, it, build it, up? It, it builds up over probably a minute and a half until you get up to full gas, heart rate's on 202 beats per minute, oh. and then you're just, yeah, just biting the handlebars then, you know. <laughs> biting <laughs> the handlebars. Your, your time, Mark, in the end for that race, it was just under four minutes, was it? Yes, well, the full story is that morning in qualification, um, the lad who I raced against in the final from China was 18 years younger than me. Yeah, you it, were 42 at the start line. I was 42, which was my race number. Amazing. You can't write this stuff. You really can't. It was You're my race. 42 years of age. It, yeah, 42. It was my race number. And I even said to my coach, I said, is somebody having a laugh here? <laughs> you know, this is my race. My race number's my age. Anyway, so that morning was the qualification ride. The young lad from China who was 18 years younger than me broke the world record in my event. Now, I call it my event because I was the world champion in the three-kilometer pursuit. So my coach, Tom, said, Mark, we're going to have to, we, as in a team, yeah. we're going to have to break the world record just to get into the final. I said, leave that to me. <laughs> so we set the schedule. 
and I broke the world record by seven seconds, smashed Whoa. it out of the park because I knew psychologically when we went through to the final, this young lad from China is going to be thinking, oh my gosh, yeah. I've got to go seven seconds quicker just to compete against this old chap. <laughs> yeah, it's mental at that point. So four hours later in the final, they called my name, Mark Holborn, Great Britain, number 42, which I still think is a joke today. Anyway, <laughs> can you come to the start line? So we'd set the schedule as exactly the same time as the morning, okay? Because you just leave everything on the track. Mm. You know, two and a half years of work is now going to end in less than four minutes' time. Amazing. Right, the scene has yeah. been set. <laughs> this is not just a success story on the track, on the velodrome, for goodness sake. So much more. We're going to unpack Mark's incredible story. The Off Script Podcast. Now, we heard just a few moments ago Mark's recollections of the Paralympic gold medal that was won in 2012. That was the culmination of an incredible journey. And, Mark, if you do not mind, let's go back to... Let's take you back to before, let's say, a very life-changing moment in your life or an incident in your life that, that was um, extremely difficult for you, um, an extremely painful thing to overcome, but ultimately set you off on this incredible journey. 2009, how would you describe your, your life and, and your aspirations if we go back to that, to that year? Yeah, very much so, Robbie. I think, you know, growing up in South Wales in the United Kingdom, you know, born into a working class family. You know, my mum, Margaret, was a school, school caretaker. My dad was a crane driver. You know, my dad was known as Mr. Nice Guy because he was a true gentleman. So I'm very privileged to have been, you know, in a great family of upbringing. And uh, my dad's name was Cecil, or Cecil, maybe. Mm. And uh, my dad was very wise, you know, gave me loads of key messages that I suppose as a kid, I probably ignored half of them, if I'm honest. Don't we all? Yes, exactly. But uh, I'm so glad I listened to the other half, you know, because as a, as a small child, I loved fitness, I loved sport, I loved health and well-being. And I just loved the feeling of movement, just that dopamine buzz that you get when you move, whether it's running, cycling, swimming, doesn't matter. And, uh, and I studied uh, sports science in college, you know, as a young man, and, and just loved it. You know, the physiology, the psychology, the biology, you know, it was just a wonderful insight into the human body and the human life, you know. It's a life that will resonate with an awful lot of people out there on the roads. A normal life, some would say, you were active for goodness sake. And then, Mark, May 2nd, 2009, a day that you will never forget for, for reasons that you're about to tell us about now. Yeah, well, I, I was a, a keen rock climber, you know, back in South Wales. I was racing triathlon, you know, alongside, you know, working full time as a senior accounts manager. So I had a, you know, a resp very responsible job and corporate, you know, career and company car and big salary, etc., etc. But my passion and my love was that movement, that sport, that exercise. So between rock climbing and triathlon, I just had this... I suppose, you know, a junior child feeling, the Peter Pan moment is what I call it, you know, to, to fly, to qualify as a paragliding pilot and fly. So I qualified in 2008. And then in May 2009, you know, which was a bank holiday uh, weekend in, in the UK. So if there's any listeners listening to this this evening and your birthday is in May, okay, just maybe stop and think about this for a moment. Or maybe even the 2nd of May, so we were flying, you know, with the club, just a normal flight day, maybe four and a half hours of flight time. And about 5 p.m., one of the guys, a friend of mine, said, shall we go back up? 
and just have the last hour of flight before the sun sets and the, you know, the wind drops. I said, yeah, yeah, of course, why not? And 15 minutes later, I'm flying 40 feet above the ground, above a, a wonderful part of South Wales called Rossilli, which is in the Gower Peninsula. And as I flew literally across the top ridge, I remember pulling on the brakes, turning left 90 degrees to face the Irish Sea, and I flew into what they call a crosswind, which is two airstreams fighting for the same space. And as I flew into it, I didn't even know it was there, of course. And the canopy just collapsed, a full collapse, just this. What elevation were you? 15 metres, so 40 feet above the ground. Oh, wow. And within two seconds, boom, I've hit the floor. Feet first, thankfully. Oh, my word. Because if I'd landed on my bottom, the pressure would have gone up through my spine and probably killed me instantly, you know. And then I got dragged for about, I don't know, maybe 100 metres or so. And I'll never forget lying on the ground. Were you conscious of falling at this point? Oh, I'd fell. It's too late. So, so, so I, I've hit the floor. Within seconds, it yeah. just it happened instantaneously. Two, two seconds. But the time I thought, oh my gosh, thud. I've hit the floor. Feet first. And then I got dragged uncontrollably, fully conscious. And I'll, I'll never forget, I've just seen this to Chris, I'll never forget the moment, even 13 years on, of just seeing the grass, sky, grass, sky, grass, sky. And I'm lying on the floor. And the first thing they teach you in paragliding is that if you have a, a crash, you know, you pull in the lines, you know, but yeah. it was too late for me. And I'm lying on the floor on my back and I'm trying to put myself into the, into the recovery position and I couldn't move. And I thought, oh, I must be caught on something. <laughs> but I, I literally couldn't move because I was paralyzed literally from the waist down. And one of the gentlemen uh, who saw me crash came down, landed, ran over and his first words to me was, oh my gosh. Are you still alive? I said, yeah, but I, I, I can't feel my legs. Oh, my Lord. There was no movement, no feeling, you know. So you weren't nothing. in pain? No. You just had n- n- numbness? Zero. Zero pain, because the way that the body works, if you have a serious accident, for instance, in my case, you know, a broken back, the brain omits a serum onto the spinal cord, so there's no signals that go up to the brain. If, if you think your iPhone's clever... This amazing machine we live in, this trillion-dollar machine, is something else. So I got airlifted off to the hospital and basically had the MRI and the X-ray and then got told that night, you know, that uh, unfortunately I'd broken my back. And your legs? Because you'd landed on your your legs. So were they also broken? No. Even the surgeon said to me, "How how didn't you break your ankles? You know, how didn't your ankles explode? I said, I don't know. And obviously I've always had really strong legs, strong cords from sport. So you can imagine that conversation with my parents that night. You know, my mum turned up crying her eyes out. I was crying, she was crying, and my dad leaned over the bed and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said to me, I told you, didn't I? (laughs) I told you to be careful. And I said, look, now is not the time. Sounds like a freak accident, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like... Yeah, just the wrong place, wrong time, you know. And were you told, Mark, and, and again, sorry to pry here, you, you're told that your, your back is broken. Did the doctors go as far as to tell you you might never walk again? Well, thankfully, my spinal cord was still intact, but I had a huge thoracic fracture at T12, so around, you know, for your listeners, belly button level. So the, the vertebrae just split, basically. And that left me then with lower leg paralysis, you know, for the rest of my life, which is why... You know, which is why I walk like Charlie Chaplin, which is fine. You know, I suppose I can sit here today with a smile on my face and and share that with you, you know, and your listeners. The Offscript Podcast. 
We're in the midst, I'm delighted to say this, of a big interview with our guest in studio tonight, Rob. Yes, it's a fascinating story, this. And thank you so much, Mark, for being with us. Mark Colburn, Paralympic gold medalist, a world champion, a world record holder as well in the field of cycling in the Paralympics. And we've kind of got to the point where you had this terrible accident and uh, you broke your back. You were paralysed from the waist down. They were, they were able to, as you, as you sort of very thoroughly kind of detail, they were able to kind of save your, your, your ability to walk again, Mark. But I would imagine going through something that traumatic um, on the body and the, the mind as well would have changed you fundamentally. Um, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe you can share that with us. Um, did it in, t- in, in any way have a profound effect on your fundamental character? And, and, uh, and what sort of chain events did it set off within you? Yeah, very much so. I think after having my spinal operation, so I've got six titanium pins you know, in my spine through T10, T11 and L1. Okay. So they love me in the airports. You can imagine when I walk in <laughs> through the airports, you know, set all the scanners off. Um, but I think to answer your question, all my childhood dreams was based on, you know, people like Daley Thompson. You know, I just admired these incredible, you know, sports people. And even though my dad, you know, was my inspiration hero and go-to guy, Daley Thompson was my sporting hero to be world-class at 10 events. Wow, you know. And I kept thinking of this in hospital. You know, if I ever leave this hospital bed, what is my life going to be like? Because my late father told me when I was, I think, about 10, you know, because I was not, I wasn't a wayward kid, but I just loved movement. You know, I think my parents thought there was something wrong with me because I never sat still, (laughs) riding my bike, climbing trees, playing football, chasing girls, whatever, you know. And and I think at that moment, I realised, well, the message my dad gave me, which was one day in the future, tomorrow will be your last day. Just remember the, the process of life. We're born, we live, we pass on. That's fact. And I never forgot that in hospital. So when my dad said to me one night, look, you're going to get through this. You listening to me? You're going to get through this. I said, Dad, I've broke my back. And? <laughs> so he was always on the positive. Mm. He was always looking above the line, always thinking positive. And I said, OK, yeah, why do you think I'm going to get through this? And he said, because you're a winner. Because you're a winner. You've never given up on anything you've ever done. Why would you give up now? Can I ask at this juncture, Mark, did you want to give up, speaking candidly? Yeah, I think... I don't mind sharing this with you. Um, I know there's not many people listening, Chris. <laughs> I hope there are one or two. Yeah, about 65,000. Double, double figures. We've got double figures, don't worry. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, probably after four months in hospital, no movement, no functionality, you know on crutches and walking frames and I said to my dad I, I, I've had enough just take my money out of my bank fly me to, to Holland you know let, let's just think about euthanasia here oh if I did <laughs> my dad said don't you dare don't you dare think that way because you're going to get through this and that was it I just thought okay I'll put these thoughts you know behind me and let's just focus on the positive, whatever my life was going to be like, whether I was going to be in hospital, out of hospital, in a wheelchair, out of a wheelchair, whatever my life was going to be, I'm so grateful that I have a life. My eyes are open, you know, instead of basically being in a local cemetery. And, uh, and I left hospital. First thing I did within two weeks was to go to the gym and uh, just started training because I knew if Were you I'd... in pain at that point? No, no pain. This is the incredible thing with the human body. You know, 
just to get myself fit, active, you know, again, because I knew in my head if I got myself fit and active, the rest of my body would just take care of itself. You know, it's a very short period of time between your accident. You were a world champion less than three years after it's remarkable. you suffered your accident um, in, a, in a sport. Correct me if I'm wrong, that you had not um, been competing at at a high level. Well, and, I, I, and I, yeah, I'd race triathlon. You know, I was racing the Welsh League. I was top 20 in my age group. So, right. you know, I've been riding the bike since I was like five, you know, so it was just learning the skills, albeit with a disability, with only half of my legs working. So it was just retraining the muscle memory in my legs. So at what point did you start to fixate on the, you know, the, the, the highest possible level that you could compete at on a bike? It was the 10th of June, 2010. So just over a year. To be exact. And it was thanks to an incredible human being in South Wales called Dr. Ben Matthews. And we were partaking in a charity bike ride, raising money for the air ambulance who treated me on the day of my crash. So we were just giving back. And I, I met this gentleman, I'd never met him before, and he said to me, excuse me, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, he said, what's wrong with your legs? I said, well, I broke my back a year ago and I've got lower leg paralysis, but I can cycle. Hmm, that's interesting. So after 20 minutes, he then said, can I ask you one last question? I said, yeah, of course. He said, are you training for the London 2012 Paralympic Games in two years' time? I said, no. <laughs> Why would I be doing that? He said, I think you should. And that was it. Light bulb moment oh, went wow. off. And I just thought, what if? What if I can get there? I just wanted to get there. Just to experience a It wasn't a even game. a consideration at that point. Hand on heart. Hand on heart. I just wanted to get there to be part of the home games. That is remarkable. So at what point, the obvious question to that then is, how does one get themselves noticed by the, the British Olympic kind of selectors, if you will? So in South Wales, there's an incredible charity called Disability Sport Wales, and they've been running now for probably 20 years. And it's a self-funded charity. And what they do is they facilitate sport for anybody that's disabled, children or adults, so they can partake in a, in a sport Okay, to take them out of their, their daily stress points of being disabled. Okay, and they can try any sports, okay, any disabled sport or any adaptive sport. And I had a coach at the time called Neil Smith. And Neil, I'd meet Neil every Saturday in the velodrome in Newport in South Wales. And we would just cycle around, you know, and they would teach me how to cycle with a disability. And I said to Neil one day, look, I'd love to, you know, train full time. I didn't go back to work. I gave up my job. And... I said to Neil, I want to commit to London 2012. He said, OK, I'll help you, because he was a facilitator. He's like a talent scout for British cycling. And he said, I need two things from you. I need commitment and I need honesty. That's all I need from you, OK? I said, OK, let's do it. So we shook hands and that was it. Next thing, he's on the phone to British cycling. I think you need to come and see this guy. You know, he's pretty powerful. He's got a huge engine. He's a little old. <laughs> <laughs> did he say that, did he? He's, 40, he's 41, but, you know, he's, he's got what I think, you know, it's going to take. So British Cycling took a look at me and they said, OK, you know, there's potential here. Go away, lose some muscle weight, because I was, you know, 90 kilos at the time. And I did. I went away, committed, lost that seven, eight kilos. And, uh, and then in uh, May 2011, British Cycling took me on to the academy, you know, and, uh, and then it was literally full steam ahead then you know, that 18-month period to the London 2012 Paralympic Games. Now, during that point, in February 
you became world champion, but you also had a great personal loss because I believe that was during the time when your, your father passed away. So my dad had, uh, had stomach cancer uh, for about 12 months. So when I got selected by British Cycling um, through the summer of 2011, we knew my dad was unwell. And I'll never forget being selected for the World Track Championships, which is in Los Angeles in February 2012. So before I flew to Los Angeles, I said to my coach, can I just go and see my dad? Because I just need to clear this out of my head to know he's okay. He's not okay because yeah. he's, he's, you know, he's in end-of-life care. But I just need to see him because if I'm away for 10 days and I come back and he's not here, that's, that, that's just going to break my heart. Hmm. So I had permission, went down, drove down to South Wales, saw my dad for the day, spent a wonderful, wonderful day with him. And, uh, and that was the last time I saw him. You flew to LA and you won gold. So I flew to LA the next day, five days of training, and I'll never forget on the Thursday, which was the 9th of February, 2012, my mum rung me to say, Mark, I'm really sorry, dad's passed away, you know. So immediately you can imagine, floods of tears, 20 minute conversation, and uh, I spoke to my coach at British Cycling, Tom Stanton, explained the situation. He said, I'm going to ring Steve. I said, sorry? He said, I'm going to ring Steve. I said, who the hell is Steve? <laughs> he said, Professor Steve Peters. Famous, of course. Anyone that's listening to this, Ronnie O'Sullivan, world snooker champion, seven times, eight times world snooker champion. He's worked with Liverpool Football Club, England Rugby Union team. Famous guy. Number one sports psychologist in the world, in my opinion. Okay, so he rang uh, Professor Peters. Professor Peters comes on the phone. Can I share this story quickly? Yeah, of course you can. And uh, he said, Mark, first of all, um, please accept my sincere condolences for the loss of your dad. Please take a seat. I said, okay, sir, I'm sitting down on my bed in my room. He said, I'm going to ask you three questions and I need an answer. The, uh, the questions are not going to be what you want them to be, but I need an answer because we need to know, do you stay or do you fly home? I said, OK, I'm ready. He said, look, we need to know, are you going to stay and not race, which you can do? Do you want to fly home today and be with, you know, be with your mum? But your dad's not coming back. Or do you want to stay and race for your country? But remember, your dad's not coming back. I'll give you a minute. So a minute went by. I said, look, I have an answer. I'm going to stay. I'm going to race for my country, for Great Britain. For 63 million people, but more importantly, I'm going to race for my dad. He said, OK, good luck, and he put the phone down. That was it? That was it. There was no more to say. What, what more do you say? You know, reality's reality. So it was me, I was like, hello? Hello? <laughs> Gone. No more to say. Commitment's done, you know. So, so the next day, you know, I raced in the three-kilometre pursuit... And, uh, and, and won that gold medal, you know, to become a world champion, to win, you know, the very famous rainbow jersey and uh, become a world champion at the age of, uh, of 42. Amazing. And that's what, about six, seven months out before London? Seven months. Seven months. Seven months. The and then, then the clock was ticking. A lot of lovely messages coming in. Loving that. Janine, lovely message from Janine. Mark, a truly inspirational man. What a motivational speaker. Thanks. Another fabulous show, guys. Thank you so much for your kind words out there. And Mark, I want to get to the moment that you became an Olympic gold medalist, for goodness sake. Paralympic, you've talked to us about breaking that world record. The emotion as you cross the finish line, having your life changed May 2nd, 2009, just over three years later, you've gone through a broken back, you've lost 
your cherished, the man that you, you looked up to, your hero, your father in that period as well, and then you win gold at the Paralympics. What are your emotions doing at that finish line? It's, uh, it's, almost, like, um, it's almost like a Christmas morning, <laughs> your birthday... Bank holiday, Valentine's, all rolled into one. Yeah, just the emotions. A good Valentine's. Yeah, just just the emotions. Successful of, one. Because you know Professor Steve Peters, who was just an incredible you know man, and he taught us you know as athletes to accept the outcome. And I said to him, "What do you mean by that?" And he said, "Well, when you give a hundred percent in every race, you have to accept the outcome because you can't give a hundred and one percent. That doesn't exist. Okay, it doesn't exist." You, you have to give your best, know you've given your best, be proud of giving your best and accept the outcome, mm-hmm. you know. And that's why, you know, in the final, we set the schedule exactly the same time as the morning and I was just going to leave everything on the track, you know. I mean, every bit of energy. And I'll never forget coming around the corner on lap 11, looking up the track, and I'm literally 50 metres behind the athlete who I was racing against. And I remember saying to myself, just stay upright. <laughs> Just stay upright, okay? Because everything else was working subconsciously. And I'll never forget, you know, crossing the finish line, the gun goes off, you know, for the finish of the race and looked up at the scoreboard and there was no time. It just said WR, world record. I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh. Wow. Even the commentators, they were, were, because you'd already set one, they were were confused as to whether you'd broken your existing world record. The the wonderful commentator was a fantastic commentator called Phil Liggett, about 15 or 10 metres before the line. If you listen to the commentary, he says, Mark Holborn is just about to win his very first Paralympic gold medal and the world record has just gone by. Oh, no, it hasn't. (laughs) He's broken it again. You know, incredible. Commentator's curse, you know. Can I fast forward, if I may, and I'm just conscious of time here, Mark, and there's so much more to unpack in your story, and I've got a feeling we're going to hear a lot more of you on Dubai 103.8 over the coming weeks, months, and hopefully years. Take me to November 2012. You yes. told me this story in a coffee shop last yes. week, and I, I was eating at the. You had me in the palm of my hand, <laughs> your hand, so you did. Your date with Her Majesty the Queen. Yes, not just me. There, there was another 110 <laughs> athletes, you know, uh, from the Paralympics and the Olympics. So after the Paralympics, you know, we were invited to Buckingham Palace to have an evening tea with the Queen. So there's, a, I think it was about 110 athletes. So you know, we were all told to line up, um, and Her Majesty would come along. You don't offer your hand, she offers her hand, which is, you know, the dignitary process. And the gentleman stood next to me to my left as a six foot seven Paralympic gold medal rower called David Smith. And if David's listening to this, best regards, my friend. And the wonderful queen, you know, Her Majesty walked up to David Smith. Now, Her Majesty was probably five foot. Yeah, in her heels. In her heels. And she looked up at David, all six foot seven of him. And there was just that awkward pause. And then she just kept walking on, you know, until she got to me. She held out her hand. I held her hand as gentle as I could. I said, good evening, ma'am. It's my pleasure to meet you. And your name is? I said, my name is Mark Holborn, ma'am. Oh, wonderful, Mark. And what's these medals for? I said, these medals, two silvers and a gold, are for paracycling, ma'am. Paracycling, Mark? And what is paracycling? I said, it's cycling for disabled people, ma'am. And she looked me up and down and she said to me, and what's wrong with you? <laughs> Hardly PC. 
<laughs> so I explained I broke my back, you know, even though I'm disabled, I've got two arms and two legs, you know, and uh, and I'll never forget that moment as long as I will live. And obviously we miss Her Majesty, you know, gracefully. Oh, so, no one will ever take that memory away from you. Honestly, yes. And then when I was presented the MBE, you know, with uh, with Prince Charles, now King Charles, and uh, and when we were leaving, you know, after the, the award ceremony and having had my, you know, MBE presented to me by Prince Charles and my mum said to me when we were walking out, I'll never forget this, she said, uh, Mark, Mark. I said, yeah. She said, did you tell him? <laughs> I said, sorry. She said, did you tell him? I said, tell who? Well, Prince Charles. I said, sorry, ma'am, I, I really don't know what you mean. What do you mean? Well, did you tell him his birthday is the same as mine? <laughs> <laughs> he needs to know that. Which is the 14th of November, you know? And I said, ma'am, I was busy. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you know? that's just typical mum, that. Yeah, we miss her dearly. You know, my mum was just... Yeah. And that, a proud day. I mean, father in your thoughts that day, taking the MBE from... 100%. You know, my dad was in my thoughts, you know, as I said in the interview after winning my gold. The gold was won. You know, I've got the gold with me today. Yeah, you, you know, do. For, for the listeners and the audience. Um, you know, it's basically a childhood dream in a box. If I get you, you to know? lift that up to the camera and ask your father, yeah, it's amazing. It's so, so yeah, stunning. It was, uh, it was a, a, a euphoric day to win that gold. Break two world records, break my heart that my dad wasn't there. Mm. But my mum was there, my daughter was there. It was a great day for them. And then to take my mum to Buckingham Palace to see her only son who had been through hell and back, you know, to have that award, you know, given to me by um, by His Royal Highness Prince Charles. was yeah. It was her day. It was her day. Before you know? we say farewell to you, Mark, there'll be a lot of people listening. Listen, we all have challenges. Challenges are all relative. Maybe no one's gone through a paragliding accident like you, but we all have our challenges in our life. Uh, that's the nature of living life, for goodness sake. We have challenges on a daily basis. What's your message to anyone right now who's who's maybe struggling? I'll give you the same question as I was asked when I left British Cycling, you know, um, as part of the, the leave-in interview is what would you like written on your headstone? You Simple know, as that. What would you like written on your headstone? Because you, you create your own legacy. You're, you're the artist of your painting. Starts today. You know, in other words, be better tomorrow than what you were yesterday. Mm. And be the best you can be. It's all you can be. Listen, Mark Colburn, what an absolute honour, privilege for us to have you. And thank you so much for recounting that story, not just for us, but for our listeners this evening as well. You are in Dubai. You're a Dubai resident now. Yes. We can see you in Al-Qudra most mornings, right? Yes, and Midan. Yes, on the Midan cycling track. But A uh, blur, I would imagine, oh, Chris. I would imagine. <laughs> Whizzing path to yes, us. Yes, but no, it's a pleasure to come in and share, share my uh, inspirational story. And, you know, I'm very proud now to coach people on how to inspire themselves yeah anyone that's listening to this how do they get in touch with you what's the best way yes just go to markcolbone.com and uh, you can find us obviously on all of the social media platforms what a man you are what an absolute inspiration i mean it thank you mark thank you so thank much thank you my pleasure for coming on in the Script podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode please do go ahead and click subscribe you can also check out our other podcasts time capsule or the big interview find it wherever you get your podcasts 